0: Hello everybody, welcome. This is Marisol Cortes from Deceleration, and we are excited to talk today to Liberty Heisi, who is, um, she's a writer, she's an educator, she is a citizen scientist, and she's a runner, and she's going to be participating in One Leg of the Monarch Ultra, uh, which is a marathon that starts in Ontario, Canada, I believe, and goes all the way down to to southern Mexico, or I think uh, central Mexico, um, basically tracing the path of uh, the monarchs as they migrate across Turtle Island. Um, And so... We were really um, intrigued and excited when we learned that there was a local runner who was going to be participating in one leg of that journey, and we have her here today um, to talk to us about some of some of her background and what draws her to the, the run and, and uh, how, how folks can get involved in that. Liberty, thank you for talking to us today. Yes, thank you. I'm really excited to, to be on your podcast. For sure. Well, I wanted to start just by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background. So, what do you do that made you decide to participate in this marathon?
1: Well, um, so I am—I'm originally from Washington State, and I grew up in Eastern Washington. And I grew up really off the grid. So um, we spent most of our childhood. I have uh, three other siblings. We spent most of our childhood outside, and so. Um, anything that I can do that is outside is where I prefer to be. Um, This run specifically for me could really connect to huge things. One is uh, awareness of the dwindling nature that we have around us. And the other part is running. And I love, I love running so much because it's sort of um, a cathartic event that I took part in almost every day Mm -hmm. uh, that really helps me stay grounded in, being outside Mm -hmm. and and being connected physically with the natural world so Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. and then you're also um you're a teacher as well right I
1: actually, I don't teach anymore. I am an instructional coach, so I help teachers uh, improve their classroom instruction, and um, I help lead a school um, on the east side of San Antonio at Stewart
0: Elementary right okay. now. yeah, because I, I think you had mentioned something, or maybe Moby had mentioned, that you're working on a pollinator garden with your students.
1: Yeah, so last year we started a pollinator garden at Stewart, and uh, fourth grade students helped me. Uh, and what we did is we... We got a lot of seeds and um, pollinator plants from um, Drake White, who works on uh, the nectar bar up in Hardburger Park, gave mm-hmm. us a bunch of pollinator plants. And so we, we put in those plants and uh, worked to really establish um, some pollinators there. And, of course, last year was awesome because um, of all the rain. Mm-hmm. The hackberry trees were in full bloom, and so we had a ton of not enough. Mm-hmm butterflies that came through. So. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was a great, really great opportunity for, for kids to get involved in that. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. And which, um, how, how did you hear about this marathon? How did you
1: decide you were going to do it? Well, our, our mutual friend, Moby, who seems to know everything all the time, she, um, I, I knew that she was a runner. We had been talking about ultra-marathoning because I think... I think I had just finished my first 50 K and when her and I met up and she, she loves running. And so she was saying like, Oh, there's this really cool ultra marathon that they're doing. And the more I looked into it, the more intrigued I was because it's, it's a solo run. I mean, I'm going to, I will be out next Saturday running by myself there. Mm -hmm. So it's not a race, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's more of a celebratory event to really Whole, you know, pass the torch on to mm-hmm. for that entire migration path that goes from Canada all the way to Mexico. And so it's, it's it, to me, it's really, um, you know, I did some fundraising for it. And so mm-hmm. I had some some people contribute to be able to get into the race and then be able to donate some money to the cause. And mm-hmm. I just think it's a great, a great time to promote um, the hard work that all, all animals mm-hmm. have to do uh, to stay alive. But but really running, you know, a fifty K physically is is challenging, but just thinking that a monarch does that like every single day. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So And for them it's you know, not that big of a deal. Yeah. So. It's
0: amazing. Um
1: Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. And just a real
0: quick little mm, slight detour. I is it correct I learned I read somewhere I feel like that um it's actually successive generations that like the generation that begins the the migration path in in Canada is not the same generation that will wind up at the southern that,
1: so. that is correct mm-hmm. that is that is correct and so they they the, that is why having habitat is so important because it's not as if the butterfly can fly the all the way, all the way right. from mexico north and back it's mm-hmm. that they have to along the way um, you know create a new offspring to complete that journey and so it's that's why it's so important for there to be milkweed and mm-hmm. h- habitat for them to make that journey because it's a tre- it's a trek that they take and i mean that's the fascinating part of it why mm-hmm. why do they overwinter in Mexico? Why did they go to Canada? Why did they make these stops in between? I mean, it's just a magical mystery.
0: Yeah. yeah it's, amazing. it's
1: yeah. And, and I, and I love to think too, that um, in fact, this weekend I was out in my property north of Uvalde and I just saw tons of monarchs oh, wow. last night just coming through. And so I just thought, well, it's perfect because pretty soon I'm going to be, that's all I'm going to be thinking about while I'm doing this Mm -hmm. piece of, piece of road work. And hopefully I won't see very many on that actual stretch of road because I don't want them to get hurt by the cars, but yeah, but yeah, but they're out there.
0: Yeah. So which section of the marathon are you going to be running? So how long and when and where, and kind of just the details on that.
1: Sure. So, um, the, so the race starts in a place called Petersboro, Ontario, and it's, and it started in September and it ends in the Sierra Madre Mountains in Mexico. And so there's there's two options. You can sign up for a fifty kilometer section or you can sign up for a hundred kilometer section. And so um, because I work during the week I couldn't do I couldn't do the piece that runs through San Antonio, which is where I live. Mm-hmm. And so the piece that I'm doing is on the nineteenth. It's next Saturday, mm-hmm. um, and it's the fifty K section. It starts in George West, which is just south mm-hmm. here, about an hour. Yeah. And it runs south along, um, 281. And so I'll leave my house at four in the morning and I'll get there because, because I'll start running at 6 Mm AM. And so the way that it works is, uh, the two, the two people primarily that are, um, managing the run, they, they're driving a van. And so it's really fascinating because they, they started out in Canada, but they're driving this van, um, all the way down. And the, portions where there isn't actually a runner one of the two of them are running so Mm -hmm. they must be running an enormous amount of miles but um so I will start at six in the morning and my hope is to be done by noon Mm -hmm. and they meet me every 10 kilometers uh just to check in and you know if I need water something um they'll they'll have that stuff and they're Mm -hmm. also going to be driving my car Mm. south to my takeout point so that I will I can just leave when I get to the end of it Mm -hmm.
0: gotcha okay and then you said you're going to be mostly kind of passing through rural areas right you're not really passing through any through many towns
1: no that that is true um so the course that I have what they did was they tried to pick and they've done this before um they came down and sort of charted the entire course before it started, but mm-hmm. um, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of rural countryside um, kind of out, off of the, the main highway, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a lot of theater roads. So it's unusual in the, in the sense that yes, it's an ultra because it's, it's longer than a marathon, mm-hmm. but most ultras are trail racing. And so you're on a, a, a non, uh, covered surface like asphalt or cement and so in this case i will be on cement or asphalt running for for the entirety so it will probably be fairly Mm -hmm. quick Mm -hmm. in comparison and flat so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: are there activities planned for those folks that are passing through larger cities or other you know even smaller towns um are there activities that are going on in conjunction with the relay kind of to draw attention to monarch issues pollinator issues
1: that's a great question. Um, I know that they they have some things planned I don't know specifically um, outside of San Antonio I do know on Thursday uh, we should be seeing the runners come through San Antonio I think there is one mm-hmm. uh, woman who's doing the portion here and I know there are some events that will be going on for the for the time that she's going to be running through the city and I think it I think her um, Checkpoint is just north of the city. So I think she runs the entirety of of that through San Antonio and just a little bit south. So I think there will be people out holding signs and Mm -hmm. other ways supporting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this does coincide with Monarch Festival that's going on, you know, throughout the the month. And we have a lot of activities in town. And I know San Antonio is considered, I don't know, like Monarch City USA or something. Oh, wow. You know, people are very... People are very, very committed to um, awareness and monarch habitat, and making sure people yeah. are supporting that in their in their own backyards here in San Antonio. So it's it's pretty great. I think there's a lot of activities going on, and um, I I'm not sure how tight in the running is to those particular activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What are the yeah. what what are the biggest threats here locally to monarchs and other pollinators, like in South Texas, and then. I don't know if you know much about how that might compare across kind of national borders like are they the same issues in canada versus the u.s versus mexico does it kind of change with different regions
1: yeah well i think i mean i think the three biggest things that come to mind with that is you know for any for any pollinator uh is just habitat loss you Mm -hmm. know we we are chewing up so much land uh, for people to have very large houses and to pay things and generally tear down anything that, that isn't kind of normed as far as, you know, backyards or front mm-hmm. yards, um, you know, yeah. plants that, that look good. Um, and so we've taken away a lot of that habitat. The other two things that come to mind, you know, is just large pesticide use mm-hmm. uh, where people are spraying for things that they find to be, you know, annoying or obnoxious, mm-hmm. but really it's, it's detrimental to bees and moths and butterflies, of course, like all of those things are very sensitive to, to any kind of chemical. So yeah. there's that. And, and then I think, you know, just, just the really robust uh, amount of traffic that's moving through those migration patterns. I mean, mm-hmm. you see it with airplanes and birds you see it with Mm -hmm. butterflies and of course your car is completely covered with, Mm -hmm. you know, little, little butterfly car car kai when you get home from anything. So, um, I just think, I think it's a combination of so many things that human beings find to be beneficial for them because they have a big house and they don't have to worry about, you know, things getting dusty because they have a paved road and they have these really pretty flowers in their front yard, but nothing feeds off of that. And so I think that, I think the, the thing that I am most um, interested in and most passionate about, uh, I became a master naturalist a couple of years ago, and I just think it's it's our responsibility to be stewards of the land and to educate mm-hmm. people as much as possible about what what can be beneficial. What do birds and butterflies and bats and pollinators eat and mm-hmm. live off of, and how can we incorporate that into our lives so that we're we get good things from it and they can survive because mm-hmm. um, I think what i found, especially here in San Antonio where I've kind of really dug into that is people just aren't educated. And so they don't know. And once they know, mm-hmm. they definitely want to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I find that a lot with, uh, you know, doing volunteer work through master naturalist is, you know, you're doing a tree giveaway and people are really fascinated by the fact that things live and eat off of the trees and it's like well of course mm-hmm. but we don't really we don't really put those things together and so i think it's it's really educating yourself or finding finding more to be focused on um, in the natural world that's that's really going to make that connection and mm-hmm. and help make it mm-hmm. improved. Yeah. But it takes it takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of um a lot of effort. Yeah.
0: That that was actually going to be my question. Do you think it it can the losses um from from habitat destruction be totally made up for by community education or does policy do policies around development also have to change like is if would it be enough if everybody you know were planting the right things in their yard or would we still have to fundamentally change kind of the way society is set up or economies are set up as well
1: well Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think this question is really, um, I mean, I feel really passionate about it. So I think it drifts into that area of, you know, could be offensive to some people, what my answer is, but I really feel like there's, there has to be a mind shift in what is important. And I think that a lot of, um, a lot of people these days, what is important is inside of their home on their phones, in their TV. Mm -hmm. They're very insulated and isolated. And I, I think, that is that has to change and Mm -hmm. so with that yes there must be policy change people have to go outside they need to engage um and i think that what i see really extensively is just that a lot of people have never had positive experiences in nature they are afraid of things they Mm -hmm. are desensitized to the harm that they do and Mm -hmm. and i think until that's until that's something that is really changed in the mind um it's it's a real challenge. I think there are a ton of people who are very very committed to making those changes and being aware and trying to really um, spread the wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But I think we have an overarching society that um, really prioritizes um, technology and expansive growth and you know mm-hmm. real consumerism. And, mm-hmm. and I think that those those are the things that are soulless and they don't mean anything at the end of the day. And and that to me is you know, why I try to do what I do um, mm-hmm. in the variety of communities that I've lived in, just because I think it's it's important to live by example. And I don't know, I mean, to get back to your question of whether it's enough, I think that, I mean, I hope that at some point, um, you know, politics can take a deeper look at what we're going to be left with and if, is that going to be enough for ourselves and for our kids? Mm-hmm. But but I also think, um you know there are a lot of communities that are thriving and are and are trying to make a lot of change, but I think the the more we do, mm-hmm. the better it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. mean, hopefully, we, hopefully we can get some some more you know politicians behind it. We can we can get cracking on that because yeah. we we have to. Yeah,
0: yeah. I wanted to ask too. Um, I know here in South Texas, there's a number of environmental issues over the years that have created these kind of cross border alliances. Um. Mm-hmm. Do you know how people here are connecting to the leg of the run that's happening just
1: south of here in Mexico? Um you know that's an interesting question because I don't I don't necessarily know um and I haven't heard much discussion about that. I know that that the like the ascent into the Sierra Madre mountains where these butterflies over winter is such a sacred place Mm -hmm. uh, that that is something that you know in the community as we're talking about you know who's able to participate in which portion of the run I know that that part of the run is very limited and who actually Mm -hmm. gets to access that but I think another thing that's really has been heavy on my mind and this may not answer your question but it is Mm -hmm. something I think about is just uh, you know with with this impending threat of the border wall being, right. you know, maximized. I think two things, two things are happening there that really, they're, that are really fatal. One is obviously the, the destruction of the absolute, you know, in some portions pristine nature that exists down there that is phenomenal habitat for so many living things
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that, that both Mexico and the U S benefit from because it is such a huge part of, what we belong to. Mm. And I think that once that's gone, I mean, it can't, that can't come back. Mm -hmm. The other part of it too, is with that, with that, you know, physical separation, uh, there just becomes a hardening there. And that is something that I, I feel like we, we have to keep that. This portion of the United States is a very um, special place uh, because people are moving across, you know, this, this man-made border, but it's not—it's not a border that um, has always been there, and it's not something that you know people—people people are living on both sides of of, of that at all points and in all aspects of their lives. And I think right. it's so important for us to keep that there and to keep that really porous and open, because it is—it keeps us a family and it keeps it um, close knit. I think once that's not there anymore, it's just like putting a border between habitats; like you can't access it and and. Right. Communities communities die because of it. Yeah, and, and so those are things that are you know really heavy on my mind when I think about um, that transition. Yeah, from from north to south. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm
0: I'm wondering if ha, have there been any efforts to sort of link up with uh, just the activity that has happened to protect like the Santa Ana um, Wildlife mm-hmm. Refuge because mm-hmm. I know that has you know um, a huge number of butterfly species there that are protected. Yes. Are y'all connecting with that as you pass through, or is that part of the journey as
1: well? You know, I don't know. Um, I should definitely hope so that there is some connection there. I, I, um, because my portion is so limited further north, um, mm-hmm. I don't know as much about what that, what that perspective area is going to look like for the runners, and I'm not sure who's running that portion, but I would certainly hope that that would be something that would be of utmost importance to Mm -hmm. to to really have outreach there and and make those efforts because that is that is exactly what you know i just think we we have to that has to remain we have to continue having that habitat um and the species because it's just absolutely essential to Mm -hmm. everything that we do here everything
0: Do you think there's something about a species that migrates, whether it's butterflies or birds, that has the ability, um, more than other species maybe even, to create peace or understanding across borders?
1: You know, that's such an interesting question. And I think absolutely, because, you know, Texas has more migrating birds than Mm -hmm. anywhere else in the world. They Mm -hmm. come through here. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I've always when I was a school teacher and I taught science, I think one of the one of the things that can be used as a metaphor is you know migrating birds are such a miracle and there's sometimes there's such a rare sighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such an exciting thing to to see a bird that is unusual or is is rarely seen coming through and you know using the nature that is around you. And I think that I think we have as a people become so stuck in a particular mindset about any, any type of person moving through another environment. Um, and instead of being inquisitive or seeking to understand or trying to, mm-hmm. um, you know, build that bridge and, and see it as something of beauty and mm-hmm. be giving, uh, it's turned into something different. And mm-hmm. but I do think that that's there. And I, and I think where that starts is really with kids. Mm-hmm. I think the more, the more you can get children uh, engaged in recognizing that, that where you are and what you have to give is a really fantastic thing, especially when something is traveling through or you have something to share, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this, this is such an unusual species. I would love to know more about the way that Mm -hmm. it functions and -hmm. and what it eats and how it uses the habitat. Mm -hmm. And so using that inquisitive nature, I think once we lose, that Mm um we've really we've really lost a lot of living because I mean you just don't you're just not you're just not living as fully as you probably could so Mm -hmm. I think I think for me um migrating species I love birds I love bird watching and right now you know there's huge kettles of hawks coming through Texas um these things are just magical and I and I think that uh like I, I was saying before, if we aren't connected to that in a really, you know, a spiritual way, it's something that, that is really a miracle and somewhat not understood. Right. Um, so we can really be part of that process. Um, mm-hmm. We're really missing out on something, and and I think that's really unfortunate. Yeah. And in some ways, it's, I don't know how long that's going to last. And so I, I just, every t- every chance I get, you know, those are things that I really encourage anyone around me to, to just see and engage in because it's mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm interested, um, kind of that, even though, you know, I was reading through the press release for the event and it's, um, even though the aim of the run is to draw attention to threats facing monarchs and other pollinators, it's really I was struck that it's framed as a celebration of resiliency and labor. And I think you even talked about kind of like the invisible work, right? That these species do over generations to to make this journey across, across uh, countries. Can you talk a little bit more about what that idea of resiliency um, that is important to the run means to you? And um, I guess whether you think that that like, whether that's important, right, in the way that we do this kind of work, whether Mm. uh, environmental work, uh, or the work of environmental justice, does it matter if we think of it in terms of resiliency and celebration of what is beautiful, or what is miraculous, versus sort of cataloging the harms, or cataloging the threats, um, or the losses, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I
1: think, I think that's, I mean I know you're you are a poet as well. I think as as poets that that is something um, to think about a lot because you here you have this sort of dichotomy between you know writing or thinking about what is beautiful and miraculous versus something that is really a threat. And mm-hmm. I always think of Mary Mary Oliver when I mm-hmm. when I think about those types of things like do you do you record what you what you see as fantastic and beautiful and you want to stay um or 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 are you recording something else i think that this is a really interesting question because i think as a runner um one of the things that that i consider when i'm doing these longer races is the resilience of the human body to Mm -hmm. even be able to Mm -hmm. do it Um, because because running to me in general is it's not very physical. I mean you're yes, you're using your body and it and it can be challenging, but it's really a mental effort to to push to push yeah. yourself on and to really um, do something more than you thought you could. Mm-hmm. and so I guess if i if I think about this you know celebration of resiliency and how how nature perseveres, regardless. Um, I think there is a there is a place for that. And I definitely I feel really um, I feel really honored that I'm able to do this run, both because I physically can and also because it's something that's very important to me. And I think that um, it, again, helps to have those conversations around um, what we love, like what is out there. People Mm -hmm. love butterflies. They don't they don't know a lot about them. Like, let's talk more about why they're you know, at such risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other piece of that question is, you know, again, I think in this time it is so difficult to not keep tally of either the work that we are doing or the work that we're not doing. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's the other part of it is um, it is really hard for me to see see any event like this it is just a celebration um, of resiliency because Yes, the butterflies, the monarchs are continuing to return in much, much fewer numbers. Yeah. Um, their habitat in, in Mexico is much diminished. Um, mm-hmm. people, people care very little about um, whether they survive or not because they don't, they, I think a lot of people don't think that they directly impact their, their world. And so those to me are things that, uh, it sort of burns very bright on that, in that aspect. I really want people to um, see it for what it is, but I guess that I guess that kind of is both parts, right? right. Because you you do have to talk about um, you know what you what you want to have remain and right. stay and be here to to be part of that. But I think that's a really challenging question because, and I think about it a lot because you know what part of that do you focus on? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's sort of one of the animating questions for deceleration like as as people that um well for greg as a journalist for myself as an activist um not so much in the aspect of my work as a writer but definitely as an activist like um if you ground if you only ground your work in kind of the tallying of the of the mounting disasters um Mm -hmm. you burn out or so there has to be kind of both there has to be this this movement this tension that you hold between um counting and compiling losses and then at the same time celebrating resiliency or celebrating sort of um what remains and uh, yeah i just found that really interesting when i read the press release um just, yeah 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 and just a kind of final question um how can folks who are living in south texas or even not in, you know, beyond South Texas, you know, all over the continent, how, how can they support what you are doing or, or themselves get involved?
1: Well, I think, I think for the Monarch um, Ultra, I mean, if you want, if people want to know more about that, they can, there's a website, um, and it's just themonarchultra.com. And Clay Williams is the run director out of Ontario, and he, um, he is very reachable. So if people want to find out more, um, you know, he, he, of course, will get back to you if, if um, they connect with him, but, you know, coming out to see runners, I think that's really, I think it's maybe more challenging than a regular race just because it's a solo person running. Um, I think the bigger, the bigger picture for me is just awareness and getting involved locally in, you know, native plants, get to know your native plants, mm-hmm. um, get to know what uses your native plants, and then um, try to make a connection with uh, people around you, your neighborhoods, uh, your You know, local gardening centers, so that there can be ways to to supply what what animals actually feed off of, and what they have as host plants that could be beneficial for for yourself, for your neighbors, for these community gardens that you might have, and otherwise just supporting um, you know the park system as well. Because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of great people working um, to make sure that we have native plants and trees in in the parks, and Mm -hmm. that they're they're really well maintained and kept. And I just think it's it's a consciousness, you know. Just if it's important to you, you have to you have to work to find out more about it. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes that's a lot of work, but but sometimes it leads to, which in my case it definitely did, leads to a an amazing group of people, um, you included, who really who really see the world in a way that I want I want I want to be surrounded with people who are also seeing the world that way. And so I think it's it's just really important to to start down that path if it's of interest. Um, and if you're already in that, to just keep pushing because, you know, hopefully at some point we can start to make a shift mm-hmm. that's really going to mm-hmm. make things better. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely.
0: I thank you for your work, Liberty, um, and all the spheres that you operate in. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm so happy to be able to to amplify and broadcast what you're doing and what all the other learners yeah. are doing. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah.